Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Carl. Good morning again, church family. As um, we uh, transition this time of looking at the Word of God, uh, I invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We move into the book of Philippians chapter 2 today. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And the message title today is, Have the Same Mind. And if you're a guest with us this morning, or maybe you haven't had a chance um, to, um, to hear of what's going on, first off, if you're a guest, I meant to mention it earlier and I forgot, but you might have gotten a bulletin this morning. There's some notes on there on the back for you if you want to be able to take notes throughout the sermon. But there's also this little tab right here at the bottom. If you're a guest with us, I'd love to be able to reach out to you afterwards and just um, say thank you for being with us. And we also have a gift for you in the Welcome Center. It's a, it's a Bible for you. And I uh, would just love to be able to follow up with you and just see how we can come alongside of you and minister to you here at Holmes Avenue. So if you're a guest, please uh, hand out to one of the ushers on your way out. Or if you see me, you can hand it to me. Um, I would love to be able to reach out to you and start some communication with you just about what God in our midst here at Holmes Avenue. Uh, if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, we have been in the book of Philippians. We've been seeing how Paul, while he's in prison, is writing with this attitude of rejoicing, this attitude of joy in the midst of a very difficult circumstance that he's in. He is in prison. He is locked up for proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, doing the things that God has called him to do. And so just to give you a really quick recap, we've seen how he's written with this joyful thanksgiving to the church at Philippi as he's written this letter. He's done so to say, I thank God for the partnership I have with you in the ministry. I'm thankful for you. And then we see how he proclaims how the gospel is supposed to become the first and foremost thing above all things. And one of the biggest things that we saw in that was how the gospel needs to come above everything in our circumstances, in ourselves, in the things that are needed for the kingdom to be advanced beyond. And then last week we saw where it was the tail end of chapter 1 and we got to the point of the thesis of the letter of why Paul's writing. And that was in Philippians 1.27 where he tells them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so today we've come to this point in chapter 2 where we are seeing how Paul is requesting that this living worthy that we talked about, how, how one is to live worthy for the ultimate purpose and that is to model our Savior Jesus Christ. To model the humility of the Savior. And so if you have your Bibles open, I pray you do. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word as we do every week. As we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And the Word of the Lord says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you for the time of worship we've had in song. Lord, I thank you so much for those that are willing to come forward and to lead the congregation, your people in worship. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can do so freely here in this place. So, Father, I pray now as we look at your word, God, that you would be with me, a sinner that's been saved by your grace, Lord, and that you would speak through me, Lord, and that you would just take the reign and go with this, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that it brings you glory. Lord, I pray, God, that every distraction fades away right now and that we would hear from you in this place. Father, I pray for Pastor Hayden as he's probably stepping into the pulpit right now about this time as well at Portside. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him boldly, use him in a mighty way. We love you, Lord. We bless you. May you increase and may we decrease. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So Paul's addressing this concept to the believers at Philippi and to us, because the word has been preserved for us so many years later, this concept for believers having the same mind as a unified people who follow Christ's example and exalt him as he rightfully deserves to be exalted. So if you're taking notes, I pray that you are, you can start to follow along. The first thing that we see here is to have the same mind as a unified people. Have the same mind as a unified people. Look again at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. It goes right there into that first part of chapter two, or chapter 1, verse 2. Excuse me. Paul begins this long verse in the Greek as a follow-up to the thoughts that we discussed last week with 27 through 30. So he's following up on this notion of living worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he begins this section by asking this conditional question. He says, if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, and if any affection and sympathy... We read that, and can we say, do we question, Lord, is is Paul questioning this? No, Paul's offering this conditional statement to follow up why it is so important and why these are all yes statements. The first one, encouragement in Christ. It ties directly into the last two verses that we saw last week from 29 to 30. And in regards to suffering... And it's the fact that even in suffering, there is encouragement from Christ because if you remember from last week, what was one of the biggest things we said continually? He is what? He is with us. He is with us always. So when we face those moments of suffering for the name of Christ or when we're faced with those moments where the enemy attacks us as we are trying to live our lives worthy for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, We must have a joyful heart. We must remember that there is encouragement in Christ Jesus. Of course, there is encouragement in Christ. That's where joy comes from. We've talked about it over the last several weeks. Earthly joy is based on circumstances. If things are going well, there's joy. If things are going rough, there's not really going to be much joy in that. But in Christ... 
in Christ in a deeply saturated, rooted appreciation of who you are as your identity as a follower of Christ. There's joy in that. So there is encouragement in Christ. He says, if there is any comfort from love, the love of God, oh, love of God, it is the most pure, beautiful, constant, unconditional love that there is. That is the love that God shows to His people. So yes, there is comfort in that. Because we know that the God who created everything, who spoke everything into existence, loves us. This God sent His Son Jesus to die in our place and take on God's wrath for us. Yes, there is love and comfort from the Lord. He says, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Now you remember from last week, as we were looking at 27, he talks about the Spirit. Yes, there is participation in the Spirit because there is one Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit that all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ that know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Spirit that indwells us is the Holy Spirit of God. He indwells us. He is our helper while we are here waiting to go home. We have that helper. There is participation in the Spirit. The church combined together. We all honor and glorify God. And the one thing that is present for us is the Spirit that dwells inside of us. And then he says that there is any affection and sympathy. Now some of your translations may say the words compassion and mercy. They may. The ESV says affection and sympathy. But here's the thing. God's affectionate towards us and He gives us sympathy and He's given us mercy. Thank God for that mercy that He's given to us. Because remember, mercy is holding back what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath because we are sinners. Yet Christ Jesus takes the place for us. And therefore, God gives us His mercy. So each of these if statements points to a solid answer of yes, of course. Now, continuing to verse 2, he says, If all these things complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. After asking this opening conditioning statement, he makes this about completing his joy. Now, if those statements are true for the church at Philippi, if those statements are true for us here, the church at Holmes Avenue Baptist, if those things are true, then we must complete the joy by being of the same mind, by being of the same love, by being one, by being a unified body of believers for the sake of the gospel. We talked about it last week, standing side by side, standing firm against the attacks of the enemy. And if we think that there's no attacks coming or that they haven't already presently been coming, then we need to stop living under a rock because the enemy wants to shut this place down. The enemy wants the body of Christ to dissolve. But we remember, church, we know the end result for Satan, do we not? He will be cast away for eternity. God wins the end of the story. It is finished. Jesus has won the day. And so while we wait, 
Here in the what has already happened and what is not to come yet, or what is to come, excuse me, what has not happened yet, as we wait for eternity, as we wait for the day of Christ, we live our lives in a way unified, standing side by side for the sake of the gospel. And if you believe that these things are true, then complete the joy, as Paul talks about, by being unified, living out 127. Let's look at 127 again from last week. It'll be on the screen. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. As I mentioned to you last week, church, we are the body of Christ. We are members of his body. We are a church family that God has specifically in his divine power and wisdom placed right here in this part of Park Circle in North Charleston so that his gospel can be taken to the world. That is our mission. That is why we are present. That is why we are here. We don't come week after week just so you can hear me talk and ramble and get loud because you know I get loud. We don't just come for that purpose. We don't come just to check off a list. We come because we want to gather with the saints for the sake of growing in our faith and understanding of who Jesus is and doing whatever is necessary to stand side by side to take on the enemy for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we gather together. That is why we are here in this place. Now, each one of us brings a specific gifting to the table. Each of us has different gifts. Each and every one of us can be used in certain ways. Maybe you can be used in a way that I can't. One thing I know for sure with blessing this congregation and blessing the guests that come to this congregation, this man right here can cook a fine meal. Don't put me in the kitchen because you're not going to get a fine meal. Now, that's a gift of, it's not a spiritual gift in that context, but that is a gift that God has given him that he has learned over time of developing that through his service in the military and just cooking. And it's a thing that he loves and he sees that God has gifted him with, sorry to put you on the spot, brother, but he has gifted him with for the sake of blessing the people. I have different giftings. You have different giftings. But we all come together as one and use those gifts together in a unified front for the sake of the gospel. It's beautiful. And to do these things and to use all these things, we have to be of the same mind and must contribute in the ways in which God is calling us to do so. And in doing these things, there are going to come times where as we grow more and more together... Lord willing, we will see more and more people come into the fold here at Holmes Avenue. And we're going to have people to come in that are going to be younger and that are going to be older and they're going to have different giftings. And when they come in here, we are going to have to mingle and understand each other more and grow more deeper in our relationships with each other. We have to. Because what did I say last week? We are a family. We are a family. You are my brothers and sisters. This is why we are here. We are here as a family for the sake of telling the world what Jesus has done for us. And in doing that, there may be times where we have to get uncomfortable. I don't know about y'all. Does anybody like to get uncomfortable? Nobody likes to be uncomfortable, do they? Sometimes getting uncomfortable means that we go across the aisle a little bit more to grow deeper in an understanding of each other, to grow in our relationship with each other for the sake of Christ.
for the younger crowd and the older crowd. There may be times where we see things, we say, Lord, as we are continuing to move forward on the mission you've called us to, we might have to adjust the way we do something. And that's okay. That's okay. One thing that I, that I have just been blown away by and just, it just was such a blessing to me over the last four years is when we, we came forward and we started to adjust a little bit of the music style. And everybody was just so on board with it. It was just so beautiful to see that because you saw that it was a need that needed to be met, and we did so. But look what we did today. We stood up here and we belted out, there is something about that name, and he is Lord. And a beautiful mixing together of lyrics that maybe were sung years ago and now they're still being sung in 2020. And we stand here week after week each month and we sing these new songs of worship that have been recently written. It's so beautiful how the church comes together in that regard. We must continue to be doing that on the deeper matters. We must. You've heard me say it before, but this is one of the desires of my heart for our church. It's one of the things I'm praying for. Older men and older women, my prayer is that you come alongside these younger men and these younger women and that you do life with them and that you encourage them and that you give them wisdom and that you be discipled by each other. Younger folks, younger men and women, I want you to go to these older young and women, younger men and women, and I want you to ask them, hey, I've been praying that God would give me someone to come alongside me, to give me wisdom, to grow in my relationship with Christ with, and you're the person that God has put on my heart. I want to ask that you would consider doing that with me. And it, ha it doesn't have to be this tedious thing to where we have to come up with this massive complex thing in our mind and say, oh, well, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to figure all that. No, it's as simple as saying, hey, can we just get together this week, maybe for an hour? I'll come to your house. I'll bring coffee. We can go somewhere. Let's open the word and let's just get to know each other. I want to know more about you. It's something very simple that we can be doing to grow more unified together as a congregation. There's going to come times where we have to stop and say, Lord, this is the mission that you've called us to. And in order for us to continue to move forward on it, to be in line with your will and for your glory, I've got to be okay with stepping out a little bit and saying, let's see what happens with this. Bless you, brother. And that's true for our older people in our congregation and for our younger people in the congregation. In order for us to do what we are called to do, we must, we must, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, you and I all have to be unified. We have to. We must. This is the purpose of why God has called us here. Ultimately, it is to live out and truly be unified. Therefore, there must be at times a denial of self. This is uncomfortable for me, Brian. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Well, put your discomfort aside for a moment and see what God does with it. Trust Him with it. See what He does in the midst of it. Sometimes it takes a denial of ourselves and a surrendering of our wants and our desires at times to what the Lord wants for us to be of the same mind. You hear me quoted a lot. 
And it's, it's in my notes, and Michael and I were talking this morning, and he asked me for, he, he reminded, he said, remind me of this reference, and it was Luke 9.23. It says, if anyone would come out, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There's at times in our lives when we're following Jesus every day, we should look in the mirror and say, you know what, Brian, it's not about you today. It's about Jesus, and it's about what he wants, and I'm all in. There must be times when we have to do those things for the sake of being of the same mind for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Brian's wants and Brian's desires. It's his. The same is true for each and every one of us. We must be of the same mind pursuing, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul here says to do nothing, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, we can see from earlier in chapter 1, verse 17, it's not on the screen, I'll just read it to you right quick. It says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, if you remember, these are these people that are going around and they're proclaiming Christ, but they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it out of rivalry and conceit. And so Paul, again, is dressing in chapter 2 the fact that we must do nothing from rivalry or conceit. He's bringing this to light again to make sure he drives home the point that a unified body does not have rivalry and conceit. Rivalry would be looking to advance one's own agenda. Conceit would be pride. Please hear me, church. I am not saying that we have a massive issue of rivalry or conceit in our congregation. I'm not. What I am saying, though, to you is, as we are preaching through this text, Brian is not going to skip over passages of Scripture. Brian is going to address them as God has laid out, and we will go verse by verse. So when we see this, we must address the fact that we must not have rivalry or conceit on the mission. Because we will then take one step forward and two steps back every time. We must be of the same mind moving forward to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This plays a big role in the mission of what God has called us to. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, I think everybody in this room would agree with me on this. We, as sinful humans, think about ourselves first, do we not? We do. We do. We want to make sure that we've got enough food to take care of ourselves. We want to make sure that we have enough clothes on our body. We want to make sure that we have everything that we need for ourselves. It's natural for us to think that way because of our sinful state. But Paul is addressing the fact that each of you must look not only to his own interests. Yes, do that. But also look to the interest of others. There must be this time where we stop and we take in the concerns and put others at the forefront of our minds. That we focus on what their interests are, what their needs are. And we meet them where they are. Think of the example of a married couple. A husband and a wife. A husband can want to do everything that he needs to do to make sure that he's good to go. He's got everything that he needs. 
But if he completely ignores his wife and ignores the needs that she has and ignores his calling by God to minister to her and he doesn't do so, things are not going to go well. One, there's going to be an issue in the marriage relationship because there's a lack of attention being given on both sides of the coin. But there has to be looking past our own interest. And I would dare say looking at the other person's interest above our own. It comes back to Luke 9.23 with denying ourselves. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Therefore, we are to do what He has called us to do. His glory, His desires before our own. And the same is true with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not our own first. Look out for the interest of others. Second thing we see in this passage. Have the same mind by following Christ's example. Have the same mind by following Christ's example. Look at verse 6. He was saying how he is to have, a, have the same mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, verse 5 here is this bridge, if you will, between what we've seen in 1 through 4 and what we're going to see in 6 through 11. It's that bridge there in the middle. But verse 6 begins from 6 to 11, what is commonly referred to as the Christ hymn. Okay? Now, for the sake of you that are taking notes, I want to make sure that I establish this for you. This is not on the screen, but if you want to jot this down in your notes, Isaiah 45, verses 14 through 25. Isaiah 45, verses 14 through 25. And then I'd also tell you Isaiah 52, verses 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. One more time, Isaiah 52, 13, to Isaiah 53, 12. There's this notation of that passage of Scripture. It ties in very, very beautifully with what Paul is going to say here in 6-11. through About this humility, this example of Christ. Now, as I said, verse 5 serves as that bridge between where he says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And now he's going to express from 6 on what it means for this with Christ. Jason C. Myers, who's a, a, a Bible scholar that, that I trust and that I read, he says, to have the mind of Christ requires knowing the mind of Christ. How can one know the mind of Christ? Well, Paul's about to tell us. In verse 6, he's telling us that Jesus was in the form of God. But the form does not mean just his earthly form like here on earth. Christ has always been in the form of God because he was with God when? In the beginning. The book of John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He was there in the beginning. Now, Paul says there that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What he's saying is that Jesus did not use this to his own advantage. Although he is God, he does not act upon this truth while here on the earth. Because he took on the form of a servant. He took on human form. He became the God-man. 
Now, we just had a great discussion last Sunday night, and I pray that we're going to have more coming up as we look at some theological topics on Sunday evenings in the, in the future weeks. But we were talking about the fact of, of Jesus being fully God and being fully man. This is what Paul is referring to as Christ being the God-man. Because he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, looked at seven, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. This is a critical verse, church. This is the truth of our Savior. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The king of kings who has been there divinely since the beginning steps out of heaven and comes here to be nothing, to be a servant, to be humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is him. This is the Christ. It's so beautiful to see. And we see here in 7 that he says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It's such a beautiful example for us of Christ. How does Christ empty himself? How does that happen? He takes the form of a servant. Now keep in mind, let me, let me make sure that I get this right so everybody hears me straight. When it says that Jesus empties himself, that does not mean that he empties his divine state. While Jesus is on this earth, he is still fully God. He is still divine. But he takes on the form of man to meet us here where we are. Therefore, he could go to the cross as the spotless lamb of God for his wrath to be poured out on Jesus. Born in the likeness of men. Here's something that goes right along with the stuff that we've been talking about. Again, Jason C. Meyer says, The Son of God divested or deprived, if you will, himself of a position and prestige, not by subtracting his deity, but by adding humanity and becoming the God-man, fully God and fully man. And as Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 8-9, Though he was rich... Yet for our sake, your sake, he became poor so that you may, by his poverty, become rich. Put it in layman's terms. Jesus came, took on the, 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 the body of man to where he would go to the cross, though he was rich in heaven, though he is God. He would come here. He would for our sake become poor to become one of us so that in his poverty we may see that his death leads to riches for us. His death leads to eternity with God for us to where we then are adopted as sons and daughters of God Almighty. And we are going to talk about that specifically tonight. With, with 1 John 5, there are evidences laid out through Scripture of how we are children of God. It's because of what Jesus has done that we are considered rich. We are considered righteous because when God looks upon a person that has given their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he looks at that person and he says, you, my son, you, my daughter, are justified because the righteousness of my son now covers you. 
It is the beautiful promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we get the opportunity to have that. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In the original language, the word for humbled here was frequently used to reference slaves and their loss of status or prestige. Paul's giving this example of Christ's humility to back up what he's told the Philippians to do just a little bit ago in in verse 3. A little bit ago we said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Jesus humbled himself. And he considered you and I more than himself. So he took the lashings. He took the beating. He took a nail, a crown of thorns being placed on his head and just shoved on his head. He took the nails in his wrist and his feet. He took being on that cross and continually having to push himself up for breath, agonizing in pain. He took all of that and humbled himself for you and I not to experience the wrath of God that was poured out on him. This is the Jesus we serve. This is why we must be of the same mind. This is why, because of what Jesus has done, Satan knows Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because he knows what his end result is. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that the message of the gospel is more powerful than anything that he can throw at anyone. He knows that the power of the gospel transforms lives and takes people from death, separated from God, and moves them into life eternal with Jesus for all time. He knows that. And so he knows that he can't win, but he will do everything in his power to distract people to take their focus off of what God is doing in their lives and to take the distraction off of what God is doing in his church so that he can get the victory, what he thinks is a victory. We cannot cannot give in to the lies of the enemy. We can't because we know what Jesus has done. Even death on a cross. You have to remember the death on a cross was the most shameful way to be killed. And yet Jesus did it for us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Thank you, Jesus, that you would do this in our place. Thank you that you would go through this for us. The last thing we see is to have the same mind by exalting Christ. Have the same mind by exalting Christ. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. We see the word therefore there, and we see that it's a a turning statement in, in Paul's thinking and the wording that he's saying here. And he's saying that because of this, We see that Jesus' humbling of himself is the exact reason why we must exalt him. 
We must do so. We see in Jesus' humbling of self the exact same divine nature of God. We see from our learning of 1 John, this one's not on the screen, but 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. The love of God is shown for us through Christ. Therefore, because of the fact that we have been saved by him, we should be wanting to exalt him, to lift high his name, to tell the people that are around us, to proclaim it, to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. This is why we get to do this because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, we must exalt Christ. It says Christ has been given the name above all names. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's so beautiful to see. By also doing this, though, because of what it says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. When we read that, we have to understand that it is part of what God has done in Christ by giving him the authority that Jesus talks about with the Great Commission. When he's leaving his disciples and he tells them to go and make disciples, he's telling them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what I tell you to do. He has the authority. He is the king. We must serve him and love him and cherish what we have with him. And many believe that when we see this here and it says that God has given him the name as above it's a reference exactly to God's personal name of Yahweh. Because in the Septuagint, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, it's, the, it's this older translation of the Old Testament in another language, but the Greek word is translated as Lord, which Paul specifically states in verse 11. So he says there in verse 11 that every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We see this here. This is the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 10. He says, So that every name of Jesus, so excuse me, that after the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We see here that Paul is taking these phrases directly from Isaiah 45 23. He says, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness the word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is the power of the gospel. Because verse 10 says that, and then verse 11 says that every knee confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We must exalt Christ because it is exactly what God has given to him. God has given him the right to be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God has given that to Jesus. Therefore, as followers of Christ, we should, we should do what we have been called to do. Amen. To lift high the name of Jesus. To exalt him with our lives, with our actions, what we say, what we do. 
My prayer is that you would seek out the Lord and you would ask Him to change that mindset for you. To change that desire in your life. To repent if you need to repent of things and move forward in living your life for Christ Jesus. And if you're here and you do not know what it means to have a relationship with Christ Jesus, I pray that you have seen a glimpse of the gospel of what I've said today. What God has said today. If you do not know Jesus, please come and find me. Please come now and talk to me. Please talk me afterwards. Talk to someone else in this place that knows Christ. Find that person. Talk to them and say, what must I do to be saved? And they're going to tell you, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is where salvation comes from. It comes from the one humbled himself to the point of death in death on the cross. So that the way that we man God will be made right again. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Lord, I pray that you would get the glory, the honor, and the praise that you so rightfully deserve. I pray, Lord, that we would be people of the same mind, unified here in Moldavia. Lord, I pray that we would have the same mind and follow the example of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have the same mind and that we would accept Christ Jesus. Lord, if you are doing something in this moment, speaking to someone now, Lord, I pray God that you would move power in your life and that they would seek out counsel and seek out whatever they need to do next for your 